who art in heaven, would be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I also want to mention the Sepsics have an anniversary. Is that right, brother? And uh, 57 years, and this is going to be on Thursday. Impressive. Like I said before, I'm striving. I'm striving. Ron is making it real easy, too. <laughs> God bless you guys. and Happy anniversary. God bless you very much. Today, I'm going to continue in this series on foundations, what we believe. And this series comes right out of these little green books that confirmands are very, very familiar with. Catechism of the Unity of the Brethren, it reminds us of what we believe, why we believe it, and where we stand as, as Christians. And today, we're going to talk about the ordinances of the church. What is an ordinance? What does it mean? We're going to go there. There are several ordinances. These are practices that we observe in church services very regularly. One of them is happening right now. But these ordinances are called the principal means of grace. These are the ways that God meets us. These are the ways that God has chosen to be present in the things that we observe. And the first one is, as I said, what I'm doing right now is preaching God's word. That's an ordinance of the church. I know people that don't attend church anywhere, but yet they're Christians. But friend, it's important for you to expose yourself to the preaching of the word of God. It's vital. It makes a difference because when you're preaching the word of God... You're conveying, you're connecting God and people. I read a book that that was the title of it. It says, Preaching is the Art of Connecting God and People. God chose this ordinance of preaching the Word of God. It was His idea. It was His calling. It's mimicked in a lot of different ways. One of the ways that it's mimicked in the world is motivational speakers. These people that go and people, they pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to go and be at a conference and hear this guy get up there and, and go and go about how good you are and how big you could be. The, the world has tried to mimic these principal means of grace as much as they can. But preaching is very vital. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the Lord... How, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is why we go to the extent of putting these messages on the internet. This is why we go to the extent of having little boxes that you can hold in your hand now. Right now if you're hard of hearing, we make it easier for you to hear by hearing every word that is preached by putting the little earpiece in your ear so that you can be exposed 
to the preaching of the word of God. One of the principal means of grace. Connecting God and people. Here's what preachers do. Preachers make a case. I've had people tell me before. I had an attorney one time that I had my church in, in Palestine. He said, David, he said, he said you, you make a good attorney. He said, you, you, you present a good case. He said, you, you make a good argument. Well, that's what, before there were attorneys, there were preachers. Attorneys basically do what a preacher does. A preacher doesn't do what an attorney does. We make a case, and God speaks to us. Now, it says, how can you do it unless you're called? I don't believe in preaching as a chosen profession. I believe it is a called profession. I believe that God anoints people, touches them, and equips them for ministry. And that is who he chooses to use. God calls people, he equips them for ministry, and then they go out and they make a case. Then you say, well, I've heard some preachers that I'm not crazy about, other people that I like better. Well, here's the thing. The message is always going to be more important than the messenger. But God uses the uniqueness of each messenger. Some preachers stand stoically behind a pulpit in a robe. <laughs> and they, 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 they talk. And some of them talk in, in, in lower tones, some in higher tones. Some preachers take their coat off and walk back and forth. Some of them don't wear a coat and tie. Some of them walk up and down the aisle. Some of them run from side to side. Some of them hop up and down and yell and scream and do whatever. There's the uniqueness of each individual in how they present the gospel. Uh, some of you may or may not know this. I definitely changed my delivery when I came to New Taper Brethren. You know why I did it? Because of you. I didn't want to scare you to death. I didn't want to be who I normally was. I was the guy that would leave the pulpit, run, go up and down the aisle, walk back and forth. I was the guy that would shake my Bible in the air and all that kind of stuff. But when I came to <clears throat> New Tabby Brethren Church, <laughs> I felt the need to behave myself. And I needed to lock into the culture that you were accustomed with because I didn't want to scare you away. You see, we ought to be able to adjust to whatever the style is and zone in on the content of what's being said. I consider it a challenge when I'm listening to any speaker because I've committed to be in that building that day. I've committed to be there. And I look at the person up there, no matter their delivery, and sometimes they make it really challenging by speaking in monotone and I consider God saying, all right, David, this is a challenge to your maturity. Are you going to find the nuggets of wisdom coming out? Because it doesn't matter whether I'm comfortable or not. It's the content of what's being said and the uniqueness of each vessel that God has called and chosen. I've got a, a, a friend of my family that is going to be speaking here in two weeks. He was supposed to come, was it last Sunday? I think it was last Sunday, the Sunday before last. His name is David Johnson. Isn't that cool? And uh, he is a, a retired, a newly retired Methodist minister. He pastored up in the Tyler area. And uh, Brother David is going to come. I think he is about, he's in his 80s. He's a very tall guy. 
And I expect him to be very different from me. Mom's, mom's already told me, I've never heard David preach, but mom said, David, he's a lot different than you. And I said, okay. I said, our people will probably love him. <laughs> but, but he's going to come and he's going to deliver the message on the 18th. He will be here. Brother David is um, uh, a man of God. This guy has, has birthed the ministry to help retired ministers uh, with, with finances. He is a beautiful man and has helped ministers in our unity already. God bless him. And he's going to be here speaking. He's going to be different from me. But listen to the content. Listen to what he's saying. You're going to be able to find nuggets of truth. I can go to a Pentecostal service and have a great time. I can go to a Methodist service or a Presbyterian service and still receive something from God, even though they're very different in their style and their approach. That tests the maturity of the hearer. See, it's not about what makes you happy or comfortable. It's about the content of what is being said. The essential thing is that you listen to the man or the woman of God as they're speaking God's truths and principles, and then you apply them to your heart. That is what has made me who I am. As I have listened to the preaching, I have tested it with Scripture, and then I walk in faith, believing it to be true. So, it is vital to be exposed to preaching God's Word. Very, very important for you to pay attention and to be exposed. You need to be here every Sunday if you possibly can. Because every Sunday you're not here, you're not hearing something that was uniquely designed for that day. And there's a chance it may have been for you. A lot of times when I preach a message that steps on people's toes, people come tell me, they say, Oh, Brother David, (laughs) those folks that should have been here, they weren't here. I wish they'd have been here. Well, (laughs) the fact is that we all need to hear every message like that. But when you miss it, you've missed it. You can ask Rhonda, ask the boys. I've got all my sermons cataloged. And I have several of these books. In the eight years I've been here, this is the newest book. I've just started this one. And these are sermons. And I don't go back in them, pull out a good, dust, dust one off a good tried and true one and say, you know, I got a good response on that three years ago. I'm going to preach that again. I don't do it. I don't do reruns unless I go to another congregation that's never heard that because the truths are real. But I look for fresh manna every Sunday. So it is important not to miss the preaching of the Word of God. Very vital. Because here's what happens in the preaching message. You receive instruction. You hear what is right and what is wrong. Instruction. You also hear warnings. You hear what, what to be careful of, what to look out for, what to, be, what, what to avoid, what to embrace. You, you, you receive these things from the Holy Spirit. You also receive encouragement. It may, there's sometimes when, after I hear a message, I feel like I could go conquer the world. Well, not too long ago, I preached a message that I got all hyped up about. And I thought, I think I told you, I feel like running through a wall, you know. And, and, and I thought I said run into a wall, but I meant run through one. You know, sometimes you get so encouraged, you get so excited because we believe the message and we walk in it in faith. We also receive comfort. Recently, I ministered in a funeral of a fellow I'd never met in my life. I'd never met his family. I was called by the uh, funeral home. The director, he asked me, said, can you, can you do it? I said, sure. Met with the family, talked with them, prepared a message. And it was beautiful to see the community in action, especially the church community. Caldwell Brethren, they provided the meal after service. Awesome. It was beautiful. It was great. 
They were there. And I looked out there and, and I, I saw the soldiers. I saw the VFW soldiers. That This was a, a war veteran of the Vietnam era. And, and here these soldiers, they were there to minister at the graveside of the folding of the flag. And then I saw a good buddy of mine, Brother David Ryman, pastor of First Assembly of God. He'd come with his trumpet and he played taps at a, out at the, at the graveside. Here was the church in action providing comfort to someone. Now, these weren't church-going folks. But you know what? You don't just sit and say, well, you ought to be here. We go to them when they need us. Amen? We need to be ready and willing and able to be there to provide comfort that we have received from the Holy Spirit. And then we receive equipping. God wants to equip you to go out and to work. Through encouragement, through warning, through instruction, through that comfort, He wants to equip you to multiply What he has done inside of you. This is what kingdom building moments is all about. Kingdom building moments is evidence of a growing church. Now I'm going to tell you. I'm getting nervous when I go out and I see empty blanks beside dates on that list out in the foyer. Please. You say, well, I'm not really sure. Remember, it's not about you. It doesn't have to be as long or eloquent as, as, as what Shirley did today. It could be just, it's you. The uniqueness of you. We'll get it. But just share it. Because it, it, it does things. This is part of the equipping. We're equipping you because if you can say this here in front of us, you will also be more willing to do it in the world to people who desperately need your help. Because who you have is who they need, and it is the Lord. So preaching is the first means of grace that a church provides, and we believe that. Number two, the administration of the sacraments. I'm going to only be able to cover one of the sacraments today. I will cover the next one next week. But this is very, very important. Sacraments are things that God has instituted in the church. Sacraments are not the, in, the, the invention of man. It's not things that we came up with. It is something that God has instilled in the church. Sacraments are outward visible signs of an inward spiritual grace. That's what sacraments are. It's not the act. It's what's inside. And what is happening is when you involve yourself in one of the sacraments, one of the two sacraments, you are worshiping the Lord, demonstrating by an outward sign of something that is already inside of you. A sacrament does not save you. You're supposed to be saved before the sacrament. A sacrament in itself is just an act. But what's real is what's inside of your heart. And that's what God is looking at inside of you. That's why we have several different ways. We receive the elements. We have regular bread and we have unleavened bread. In the sacrament of communion, we have wine on the outside. We have grape juice in the middle. And the reason we're not legalistic about wine or grape juice, unleavened bread or leavened bread is because it doesn't matter the, the, the method. What matters is the heart. God looks on the heart, always has and always will. Man wants, man wants to make it difficult for people to approach God. I don't think they're meaning to do it, but they just do. My dad taught me a long time ago. He said, David, make it as easy as you can 
for people to obey God. It shouldn't be difficult for people to obey God. Sometimes our righteousness is more difficult to gain than God's righteousness. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But I'm going to tell you, friend, you put yourself under the yoke and burden of other people, it's not easy and it's not light. It's not the method, it's the heart. So, the the sacrament that I'm going to talk about today is baptism. We'll deal with communion next week. We're going to... We're going to experience communion today, but we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to talk about that next week. Baptism and communion are the two sacraments in the church. These confirmands and everyone who's gone through confirmation, they know this. Now, let's go to Scripture. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 through 5. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, That scripture is so key and it does describe my preferred method of baptism. Because what water baptism is, is us identifying with Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. The form that Jesus was baptized in when he went down in with John, he went down into the river. And John's method was immersion. Now here was the thing, is that baptizing means To cover. It means to immerse. So in the fact that Jesus went down into the water, that signified his death. And then when he came up out of the water, it signified resurrection and newness of life. Now, the first century church, they used sprinkling. They sprinkled people. You know why they did it? Because they were trying to save their lives. If they were seen having public baptisms, the Romans would catch, capture them and take them to be fed to the lions. So in the catacombs, they began sprinkling, and that's where it came from. I got no problem sprinkling. I'd love to be identified with those first century church heroes. They were incredible. There's another form called lading, where you actually pour water over the top of somebody's head. All these things are symbols of, of that act of being re- buried with Christ and raised with him again. Newness of life. Death, burial, resurrection. That's what is happening here. And it's not the method. You know, the brethren believes in all three of those, and they're fine. But what is important in baptism is the faith of the believer that is being baptized. Baptism is an outward sign, again, of an inward work or grace. So we look into the book of the Catechism, and the Unity of the Brethren has two different experiences that it mentions, infant and adult baptism. On page 26, letter C, if you were to have your handy catechism book, you would read this. When a child is baptized, he is dedicated to the Lord by his parents and placed within the covenant of grace under the care of of the church. This has nothing to do with faith of the child, has nothing to do with the profession of faith of the child. What is happening as we regularly rehearse every time 
we have a, an infant dedication and baptism in this church is that nothing is happening to this child. What is happening is we are making an outward commitment in this congregation to do our best to raise this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I remember when I, my first baptism I witnessed here was at that fount and Brother John Boletka was leading it. And I remember the, the extent that he continued to stress that point. That he continued to say, guys, listen, this is this child being dedicated to the Lord. I was dedicated to the Lord when I was a child. I was brought by my parents to the church and the, the, the pastor did what I did. He, he laid hands on the child or, or held me and prayed a prayer of blessing just as was prayed over Jesus by Simeon and Anna the prophetess. But later on in Jesus' life, when he was 30, coming out of the wilderness, he went down into the water with John the Baptist, and he was baptized. These are two separate incidences. Now, we go to, to letter D on page 26 of the Catechism. When an adult is baptized, he professes his faith in Christ. Now, that's a different thing altogether. Again, this is a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. So one is a dedication, the other is a public profession. Because an infant can't make a public profession. But confirmation is something that is here to go through the process of confirmation. Then during that process, you are making a public profession for Christ. You're going to see these young people, they're going to come up. And they're going to make a public profession for Jesus Christ. They are. But it's going to be something done of their will. The problem with baptism in the, in, in the infant stage is this. The confusion of people thinking that because they were sprinkled as an infant, that they don't have to do anything else for the rest of their life. That somehow they're saved by that act. When what really happened was the parents and the pastor and the congregation committed to that child. They need a Sunday school teacher, I'm going to teach. VBS worker, I'm going to work. They're going to do whatever they can to support that child, to bring him to a place where he can accept Jesus as his personal Savior. And as my dad said, we're going to make it difficult for that child to go to hell. And we're going to make it easy for that child to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. You see, that puts the responsibility back on us we don't just baptize down and say, okay, whatever, now you're done. The magic wand, and here's your golden ticket. That's not how it works. It's a deliberate act of the people. This is why, as pastor of this church, Emily, you did it when you were here also. She got behind this pulpit and made a public confession to this congregation. See, I don't just give them a cup or a necklace and say, go on your way. I make them commit to something. And I require that because I think it's important that they do this. So, baptism is something that is very, very, very important. So, Brother David, what are you saying? Well, here's, here's the deal. Baptism of an adult is a public confession. It is the biblical model of baptism because we have dedication of a child. Jesus was dedicated. Then we have the confirmation and training. The Bible says when he was about 11 or 12, he was seen in the temple talking and speaking with the doctors. And then we have a public confession by him with John the Baptist and then his baptism. So now you have the subject of, well, Brother David, are you suggesting we be rebaptized? Is that what you're saying? Who came up with the word rebaptized? Have you ever heard of the word recommunion? How many times do we receive the sacrament of communion every year? At least 12. 
We're going to do it two times this month. On the 25th, I'm going to offer you the availability to receive communion with the confirmants when we're going to do it on the 25th. I'm going to offer you the opportunity to receive communion today. So if we can take the sacrament of communion over and over again, why in the world can't we be baptized again? I'm going to tell you, if I ever get this chance, and I, I, one of these days, it's one of my bucket lists. I hope it happens. I've got a lot of friends who have. But if I ever get a chance to go to Israel, and I'm in Jerusalem, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm out there, and I see that Jordan River, and they, they walk, the tour guide walks up and says, all right, folks, we are now at the spot historically where we believe John the Baptist baptized people. And this would be also be the spot where Jesus walked down in the water and was baptized of John. And then he looks and says, if you would like, we're going to offer you the opportunity to be baptized right in this same spot. What would you do, my friend? I'm going to tell you what this guy would do. I was baptized as an eight-year-old, okay? I understood with simple faith what was happening, okay? But I'm going to tell you, if I had that opportunity to walk back in that pool where Jesus was... Without batting an eye, I'd go back down in there. And it wouldn't be a breach of my faith at all. Just like today, I will receive communion again. It doesn't cause any doubt to come in my mind from the first time I received communion as a little boy. Not at all. Just like I will, re- I will repeat the Apostles' Creed today. I repeated it last month. Who says I can't ever repeat it again? You see, when it comes to God, the Lord says, come to me. We have liberty and we have freedom in these situations of the sacraments. Remember, God's not going to make it difficult. He's not going to throw up roadblocks and rules. That's what we do. And we don't do it to to keep you away from God. It's a human nature that the enemy works in. And he infiltrates that. And if we can't find these things in Scripture, rebaptism is not mentioned in Scripture. Neither is recommunion nor reaffirmation of faith. Those that demand it question one's profession of faith. Here's what we're going to do with New Tabor Brethren. We're going to offer it. Four times a year, you're going to have the opportunity to be baptized. I don't care if, if you, you take every opportunity. You know, If we have 75, 80 people baptized every time, I'm good for that. It doesn't bother me. The problem with what we call rebaptism is when you go to another congregation... Or you join another church or organization and they say, you, your baptism doesn't count. See, that's not theirs to say. See, when they, say, when they tell you to be a member of the, of the body of Christ, you have to be baptized here in my church. That's not right. But when you offer it, like we're doing communion today, we believe in free and open communion. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you're welcome to approach the Lord. And he wants you to come. He with his disciples, they celebrated Passover every year. You want to be really accurate with communion? We should do it once a year. And that's at Passover. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. But what have we done? We do it 12 times a year. Some churches do it every week, 52 times a year. I heard people once say, they said, Brother Dave, if you do it too many times, it'll get, you'll get used to it and it'll lose its savor. Rhonda. Look at Rhonda shaking her head no. At Palestine, at Christ Community Church, we, we celebrated the Lord's Supper every Sunday twice because we were the worship team. The, the worship team would receive communion before we came on the platform and begin to, and begin to lead worship. And then we'd receive communion after worship. Oh, my word. We did it 
four times a day. Because Rhonda said we had 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. services. So that means the worship team would receive communion, go out, lead in worship. After the time of singing, we'd have communion with the congregation. Come back at 10.30, we'd go through that process again. Four times a day. Did I get tired of it? No. I celebrated it every single time. Because it is approaching the Lord. What's wrong with the reaffirmation of faith? Nothing. Nothing. I don't feel conviction about it. I don't feel a restriction to it. And I think God says, come. Come. Express yourself. He's not going to get upset with you for having another experience with him ever, 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 ever. It's a wonderful thing. So, rebaptism is not mentioned in Scripture. Is it wrong to repeat the sacrament of baptism? No. Because of the precedent that we repeat the other sacrament called communion. If it's wrong that we repeat baptism, then it is wrong that we repeat communion. And how many of you feel convicted for repeating communion? I don't, my friend. There's nothing in Scripture that prevents you from approaching the Lord. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, forbid them not. Let the children come unto me. Remember, infant baptism is dedication. Adult baptism is confession of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. I'm closing with these two scriptures that describe the freedom that we have around the Lord. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. <laughs> King James calls it liberty. And we being Americans, we know all about liberty and freedom. And God has freedom and liberty in His church. Anytime you feel restrictions, pressure, regulations, I'm going to tell you right now, that is not the Spirit of Christ. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, Jesus is saying. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All you who are stressed and restricted, all you who are feeling the pressure, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You want to know why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We pastored a church back east. We were doing fine there. We did some, I think, some great things there. My boys, their skits and and what what they've done, they learned all that in that church back east. But we weren't really happy. We, you know, Ron, you know, we wanted to get back and and be be here in Texas because uh, Ronna's father was was diagnosed with cancer, and um, Ronna just got to a place where she was just miserable. She said, you know, she said. The Bible says that, what, what was it? You said, you said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And she said, I'm not, feeling, I'm not feeling that lightness and that easiness. I'm not, I'm not feeling that peace. And she said, I, I think we need to go back home. And I said, you know what? I, I kind of didn't want to be buried anywhere but Texas either, you know? <laughs> I would often wake up night and say, God, please don't let me die here. I mean, there wasn't anything wrong with it, but I'm a Texan. I belong in Texas ground and Texas earth, you know. So we, we packed up and we, we uh, I, I resigned in the church and 
prayed and blessed them and, and, and we left and came back here. Because God wasn't putting pressure on us. He wasn't saying, you gotta, you know what I thought? I thought, well, what are they going to think? I've only been here a short period of time. What are they going to think? And it's God who I'm serving, not them. It's not human will. It's where the Lord is. And we felt a freedom and a liberty to do it. You know what God did? He took good care of that church. Because I think they were probably supposed to hire somebody that was there. But a prophet is without honor was without honor in his hometown. I got to minister that guy and help him with his preparations and stuff. And he became the pastor. And to this day, he still is. So it was all good. We got to come back to Texas. And come back to Texas, we got to meet you. And I'm as happy as I could be. It's easy to obey the Lord. It's easy to follow Him. It's not pressure. Now I want to encourage you, if you feel restrictions, be set free in the name of Jesus. Our fathers and our forefathers, my dad used to tell me some things, and later on I questioned about some stuff that, that he had learned from church tradition. I said, Dad, is that tree say, you know what? No, it's not. Not when you find Scripture. There's nothing in Scripture there. And we just said, okay, let's... Let's drop that because that is a yoke that is man's and not God's. And I'm encouraging you to do the same. We're going to offer baptism four times a year. I think we're going to have one coming up. Diseases have have uh, uh, been gracious to allow us to use their pool. We're going to sanctify that thing, Terry, Lori. We're going to have ourselves a baptism there. Several of the young people have already told me, they says, yes, I'd like to do that. I'd like to, like to be baptized. Some of the confirmands. Adults, if you want to join us, Go right ahead. I've offered a bad public baptism service outside of infants one time. And when I did that, several adults came in and they were baptized. And I did it because I wanted Matthew to be immersed. So I want to encourage you. We're going to give you the opportunity. Whatever you do, it's between you and God. There's no pressure. I don't doubt nothing. i got no problem. I think that it's between you and God and God loves you very much and you know who you are. I don't question it at all. But understand this, there's liberty, there's freedom with the Lord. Bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's thrilling to be your child. You are so fair. You're just. It is relaxing in your presence. I've never felt uptight or nervous being around you. But when I have felt uptight and nervous... I've realized it was man and not you. Because you're about comfort, not stress. So, Father, set us free from the stress of man so that we can walk in the comfort and the liberty of your presence. Now, God, we enter into a time of communion with you now. We're about to receive these elements, your body and your blood this sacrament that you have included us into, we freely enjoy this privilege. So God, I pray that as we enter into this time of communion with you, if we're uptight, you'll comfort us. If we're sick, you will heal us. If we're bound, you will loose us and set us free. So we celebrate this time with you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. The night before Jesus, or the night that Jesus was betrayed, 